Good morning, everyone. If I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, my name is John. I get to serve as the lead pastor here at Elmwood. If you were here last week, you witnessed the great slide debacle of 2023. If you were here last week, you're laughing because you know. Uh, You were all sitting here wondering, whose job is it anyways to put those sermon slides together? And why are they all out of order? And why are they not working the way they should have? And didn't someone like check this before the service? Those are all very legitimate questions. I take full responsibility for that. And I promised I would show you the pictures that I was going to show you last week. Uh, our staff updated our uh, the staff portion of our website, and so, hey, here we are. We look great. Um, if you want to know what we're actually doing around the office during the week when John and Dave and Linda start, like, talking, this is actually more like what it looks like. We take pictures like this. So uh, just had lots of fun doing that and promised I would tell you, so here we are. Also, one other thing I need to tell you, maybe a better way of saying it is I need to warn you, is about the next uh, series of messages we're going to be doing after the one we're in now. So after this series of messages on our identity in Christ and before the series in Advent, we are going to be doing a series on the subject of politics. It's not going to be a super long series, but we're going to be talking about politics. And let me just uh, take a moment and share with you why we are doing that series and why we are doing it now. Have you noticed how politics tends to bring out the best in people? (laughs) Have you noticed how when people talk about politics, the conversations are usually like really charitable and people seek to understand one another and listen well and no one's really interested in like cramming their perspective down other people's gullet? Have you noticed how when we talk about politics, there's barely any shouting or name-calling, and pretty much no one says, because you disagree with me, it's the end of democracy as we know it. Have you noticed this? Have you noticed uh, how when you talk to people about politics, your relationship with them gets better? Like, instantly, (laughs) right? The answer to all these questions is, me neither, right? Uh, The political landscape that we are living in right now, the landscape of our political discourse, is, uh, is really broken, And we've seen that, and we've experienced that, and we have, in varying ways, participated in that. And uh, we just believe, as a church, that we have to chart a new course. We believe that our current political climate requires us to reimagine how we do politics. It requires us to look out at sort of just the the landscape of how politics is is talked about and done sort of generally out there. And it requires us to say, you know, we're just like not going to play those games. Right? We're just not interested in participating in that sort of political discourse or in that particular way. We have to, as a church, chart a new course. And so what we're going to be doing is looking at four virtues that we need to embody if we are going to engage in political discourse and engage in political, our political stewardship. If we're going to engage that well, there are four virtues that we must embody. Okay, so uh, just to be really clear about this, the goal of this series is not to stand up here and tell you, like, you have to vote for this person, you have to vote for this person. It's not to necessarily tell you what you should think about different, you know, sort of issues, whatever those issues are. Uh, Those things are important, absolutely. We ought to be thoughtful people as we think about politics and think about how to engage uh, the the realm of politics as as, as disciples of Jesus. But what we think we need to do is first, before we do any of that, we have to cultivate virtues that are going to help us engage in politics well. Uh, These virtues are not new, right? They're in the Bible, which is like thousands of years old. 
So these virtues are not necessarily new, but we believe that they are more important now than ever. Uh, We believe that the world needs us to thoughtfully engage in politics, and the way we engage in politics is actually a part of our witness as a church. And so we want to be uh, a church that cares deeply about the stewardship God has given us to participate in the political sphere of our life and our country. And we want to do so uh, with an emphasis, not just on the end product of who you vote for, but what kind of person you're becoming in the process. Because what kind of people we are as we engage in politics is as important, if not more important than who we vote for in the end. And so we want to cultivate uh, those virtues together as a church family and do so with enough time, right? Like the, the election's next year, but if we wait until September of next year to, to, to do this, we're already too late. So we want to do this now, uh, get a head start on this. Uh, so that's what we're going to be doing. Uh, but Yes, absolutely. Yep. 100%. There's, there's stuff that's local as well as stuff that is uh, on the federal level. And so we want to uh, do this as a way of helping us engage in both those spheres. Uh, but for this morning, we have been in a series of messages thinking about our identity in Christ. And we have been saying that we are, we've sort of distilled or simplified our identity down to three things. We are sons and daughters. We are brothers and sisters. We are neighbors and witnesses. This morning, we're going to continue thinking about what it means to be brothers and sisters. And as you heard the passage read, you you may have picked up on this already, that we are going to be mixing our metaphors a little bit today. Uh, And the reason for that is because the way that the Bible talks about our identity is multifaceted. The New Testament uses different language and different pictures and different metaphors to describe the same thing. So when we talk about being brothers and sisters in the family of God, and when we talk about being members in the body of Christ, those are talking about the same exact thing, just with different words. And so what we're going to do this morning is think together about the question, what does it look like for us to live as brothers and sisters who are members of the body of Christ? What does that actually look like for us to live as brothers and sisters who are members of the body of Christ? So let's look at the passage, and the first thing we see is uh, this is how we live as members of the body of Christ, uh, seeking the good of others as we embrace the unity that exists in our diversity. That's how we live as brothers and sisters. We embrace the unity that exists in our diversity. There's really no question that if you look around this room and if you were to be able to see all the people watching online or who will hear this later, uh, those of us who call Elmwood home, we are a diverse group of people in a lot of different ways, right? We have, uh, we're different ages, we're from different generations, we have different backgrounds, different life experiences. Some of us uh, spent our, our childhood years in different parts of the world and English is not even our first language. We have different upbringings and different personalities and different temperaments, different interests, different vocations. We have different ways of approaching life and relationships. We have differing convictions about things that the Bible teaches in certain areas. Uh, We have different ways of approaching everything from parenting to politics to everything in between. So we are a diverse group of people. These verses that you heard read here from 1 Corinthians chapter 12 highlight and really sort of emphasize, they talk about one of the areas of diversity that existed among this church in the city of Corinth and also an area of diversity that exists among our church family as well, and that is the diversity of gifting, spiritual gifts. And so we read in verse 7, where Paul's writing to this church in Corinth, 
And he says, now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of the one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. So these verses here, which lay out the, uh, the spiritual gifts that we see here, these highlight this area of diversity that exists in the body. A couple observations about this list of spiritual gifts is, number one, it's, it's not comprehensive in any way, shape, or form. There are different gifts. Uh, lists of gifts, spiritual gifts in the New Testament in different places, and they have different gifts that are in different orders. So this is not a comprehensive list saying this is all the gifts that are out there, and it's not given to us in order of importance either. Also, something we should just observe about this is that there are different kinds of gifts, meaning that there are some of these gifts that we read about that are like clearly and obviously like very God-empowered, okay? Miracles, (laughs) healing, Things like uh, what you could call a word of knowledge, where like a person knows something about a person or a situation that they could not know if God didn't reveal it to them. So there's very obviously things that are like just revealed by God that are God-empowered. But then there's other gifts that seem like they much more align with just the way that we are wired, our natural abilities and our natural giftings and just the way that God has wired us. And so you'll see in this list, as well as in others in the New Testament, things like uh, leadership and administration and discernment and mercy and helps and all these things that are like, yeah, I would probably be that way even if I wasn't a Jesus follower. So there's things that are like clearly God-empowered, and there's some that much more closely align with the way that God has uh, sort of just wired us. And what we see here is this picture that there is this huge, massive amount of diversity in the church— And in part, because God has given different gifts to different people. So there's diversity because of the way that God has gifted us. But also, there's not just diversity. There's also unity that exists in the body as well. If you look at the verses that surround this list of gifts. So the list of gifts is like right in the middle. And then it's sandwiched in between these two other paragraphs. And notice starting in verse 4, where it says there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. So what Paul is saying here is that the unique spiritual gifts that we have, those unique spiritual gifts all come to us from the same source. God himself is the one who gave us all of those gifts that we have. And interestingly, this didn't stick out to me at first, but just notice the three persons who are listed here. (laughs) You know, he says there's the different this, but there's the same this. And he says it three times. And and he makes reference to the Spirit, which is the Holy Spirit. He makes reference to the Lord, which is oftentimes Paul's way of referring to Jesus. And then you have God, who he's referring to as the Father. So here you have this beautiful triune picture of the triune God is the one who gives us these gifts. And every single one of the gifts that we have come to us as the overflow of God's triune love. So we see that there's unity in the source of those giftings. But then also in verses 12 to 14, he says, Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its parts form one body, so it is with Christ. 
For we are all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. So we have the source of these giftings is all the same. And then he goes on to say, and we all possess the same Holy Spirit. We are all united together in one body. And so even in the midst of all the things that make us different, and even in the midst of all the diversity of gifts that God has poured out on us as brothers and sisters, there is a significant amount of unity we have because even in all those things that make us different, we are united together in Christ. And so that's what unites us together is that we are united to Christ. And that's what gives us the unity in the midst of all of that diversity. And you see in the rest of the passage that Paul lays out this picture of the body that I just think so perfectly encapsulates, just perfectly captures and represents the, uh, the, the oneness and the, and, and the differentness, the diversity that exists in unity. Right? We all know this. Uh, we have physical bodies and there's different parts that have different functions. And there's some of the parts of our body that you can see. And there's some of them that you can't see. There's some of them that you can control. There's some of them that you literally cannot control even if you wanted to. And our bodies are sort of just this like mess of like these different parts that all form together in one body. And, and oftentimes we don't recognize how uh, we have these different parts until one of them uh, sort of goes haywire. Right until one of them goes wrong, until you stub your toe on the nightstand, you don't even know that you have a pinky toe until you break it by kicking something. Right, and in all these other ways, uh, we form. We are together, uh, diverse, but form this one body together. Now, if we don't have the right perspective on this, right? If if we don't live with this this understanding of the fact that we are unified in the midst of our diversity, one of two things is going to happen. We're going to look at the gifting of other people and how God has gifted them, and we are either going to feel inferior to them or we are going to feel superior to them. I think this is what Paul is talking about when in verse 15 he says, Now if the foot should say, Because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. It would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, Well, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. It would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. Right? So you've got one part of the body who looks at another part of the body and says, well, I'm not, fill in the blank, therefore, I'm not a part of the body. You know, I'm not like this person, I'm not like this part of the body, so therefore, I don't belong here. And it's so easy for us to look around at the gifting of other people and to have that same sort of attitude where we would say, you know, well, um, you look at the gifting of other people and you say, well, you know, I'm not extroverted and I'm not articulate, I'm not old enough, I'm not smart enough, I don't know enough, I'm not talented enough. You know, the stuff that I do is behind the scenes and that's where I sort of thrive and like I see the gifting of other people and it's just like, you know, I just, you just feel inferior to them, right? But on the other side, there is the feeling of superiority to others if we miss the unity in the midst of that diversity as well. In verse 21, Paul says, the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable, we treat with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should all have equal concern for each other. 
If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. So he's saying here, God has designed us, has designed the body so that each member would have equal concern for one another. And so there is no room for this, like looking at the gifting of other people and and saying, well, you know, I wish I had their gifts. Or because they have those certain gifts, they're more important to the body than I am. Because I don't have these certain gifts, you know, I guess like I'm, I'm a part of the body, but I'm like maybe at best like a second class member of the body. You know, I'm just here, but I don't really serve a function. I don't serve a purpose. I'm not important. And it also stops us from going the other direction and being arrogant and looking down on the gifting of others and saying, boy, you know, if that person was gifted like me, right, we don't have that kind of perspective because we live with an awareness of both the unity and the diversity that exists within the body. And this is what Paul is urging the Corinthians to do, and it's what he's urging us to do as well, is to embrace the unity that exists in our diversity. I think functionally what that looks like for us is learning to cultivate a sense of contentment with how God has gifted us and the specific ways that he has equipped us to serve the body. Cultivating a sense of contentment with like, okay, I see these are my giftings. I'm not this person. I'm not that person. I may wish I had certain kinds of gifts. I may wish I was different, but this is how God has gifted me. And so I see that and I recognize that and I can find contentment in knowing this is how God has gifted me. And I can find contentment in saying, this is what I can contribute. I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. Listen to verse 11, where Paul says, all these, that is all these spiritual gifts, are the work of one and the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. So again, it's God himself who's given us the gifts. It's the spirit who is the one who gives us those gifts. And when we look at our gifts and we feel inferior because of those, and we wish we had different gifts, Right? In a roundabout way, we are criticizing the Spirit for giving us the gifts we have. And on the other side, when we look with arrogance on the people who maybe have gifts that we would say feel less important to us, we forget where our gifting comes from in the first place. And so thinking of the body and recognizing the, the unity that exists within our diversity is going to protect us from going to either of those sides. So this is what it looks like for us to live as brothers and sisters is we embrace the unity that exists in our diversity. And the second way that it looks is we give ourselves for the good of the body. We give ourselves for the good of the body. Here in these verses, we're not only told that we are gifted, but also Paul tells us why we are gifted. In verse 7, he says, Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. God has gifted each one of us for the common good. God has gifted you in the specific, unique ways that he has gifted you, not just for yourself, not just for your own benefit, not just for your own use. God has gifted you for the good of the body. What was happening in the church of Corinth was that there were factions that had been forming. And if you read the whole book, you see that there's lots of like disunity among them. And you see that there's some people who are saying, well, I follow Paul. And some people are saying, well, I follow Apollos. And some people are saying, I follow Jesus. And they're like hitching their wagons to these different ministry leaders thinking like, well, you know, this person's really important and I'm with them. So I'm really important too. 
And there's these divisions and factions that are forming along the lines of like people forming groups around certain ministry leaders. But it wasn't just uh, those ministry leaders. It was also factions that were forming along the lines of their spiritual gifting. There were some who were looking at these more uh, like clearly God-empowered gifts. And they were saying, you know, well, we have these gifts. And so we must be really important because, you know, well, I speak in tongues. Or I have, you know, have you know, had the gift of miracles or healing or whatever, and they were delineating themselves. They were uh, sort of falling along party lines for who has, you know, not only for who follows what leader and who follows another leader, but for who has what gift and who doesn't have that kind of gift. And it's to these people who are experiencing this, who are sort of uh, creating these party lines, as it were, Paul writes to them and says, your gifts are not about you. Your gifts are not about you. Your gifts don't originate with you in the first place. And your gifts ultimately are not just for your own benefit. God has gifted you in the way he's gifted you so that you can serve and love other people in the body of Christ. The goal, again, is that there would be equal concern for one another. That those who have a variety of different gifts, no matter what their gifts are, would be able to love and cherish and honor and respect and Seek the good and the well-being of others who have different gifts. And the same exact thing is true of us. That we are gifted for the exact same purpose. God has gifted every single one of us in the unique ways he's gifted us so that we can contribute to the body. So that we can work for the common good and we can love our brothers and sisters who are fellow members of the body of Christ. And so what that means is that we give ourselves for the good of the body and for the good of our brothers and sisters who are fellow members of the body. Now, sometimes our giftedness expresses itself in very like public, visible ways, right? Some of us, uh, our gifting is public, it's visible, it's in sort of an, you know, more of an organized event type setting like here on Sunday morning. And that's true of some of us. But if we stop and think about it for like a fraction of a second, it should be pretty obvious to us that the way that we all contribute our gifting to the body can't happen in a one hour and 15 minute worship gathering on Sunday mornings. That happens once a week. Nor nor should it, right? It shouldn't happen and it can happen, right? Uh, Not only because there's just not enough time and you can imagine how like chaotic it would be. And you can imagine how long we'd be here if we ended up did, you know, went around the room and everyone got to share their gift and whatever. But also, just because there are some people whose, whose spiritual gifts are by definition not public. Some people's spiritual gifts are by definition behind the scenes. And so it would ruin their gift. It would take something away from their gift to do it in, you know, sort of an environment like this. And so there is no way that we can all exercise our gifts in like one Sunday morning worship gathering every week. And so what I want to suggest is that as we think about the ways that God has gifted us, and as we think about the ways, uh, the, the areas or the ways that we can go about exercising those gifts, I want to suggest that the primary place we should be thinking about exercising those gifts is Monday through Saturday. Right? Again, there, there are some whose gifting is more public and visible and, and, and all of that. Absolutely. And even for those of us whose gifts are more public and visible, if I, for example, have the gift of teaching, to say that my teaching is confined only to Sundays is a waste of my gift. 
And so it's not saying that, you know, those of us who have gifts that are expressed here on Sundays only do it on Sundays. Even for those of us who do have gifts that do get expressed in a public setting like this, we still have Monday through Saturday where God has gifted us so that we can work for the good of the body. What this means, if we're going to think about our spiritual gifts that way, saying, okay, Monday through Saturday, what does it look like for me to express my spiritual gifts? What that means is that we are going to have to be present enough in each other's lives to share our gifting with one another. Right? We have to be present enough in each other's lives. We have to have relationships with people outside of Sunday morning. And it's interesting, like counterintuitively, the way that God meets our needs is by us not focusing on our own needs. Right? So if you're here this morning and you're like, man, I just feel, uh, I, I feel like I'm just really needy. One of the ways that God meets your needs is by you thinking about other people. And also, when the whole body of the church lives with the, the attitude of, I'm here not just for myself, I'm here to serve and love others, everyone's needs are going to get met when everyone contributes, Right? So think about that. Monday through Saturday is the primary place where God has designed our gifts to be expressed. And so what this means is that we have to sort of go back to what we were thinking about last week, which is as brothers and sisters, there's like a fundamental reordering of our lives around a new set of relationships. We're brothers and sisters together in Christ. We have allegiance and relational commitment to one another. And then in the context of those relationships, we do everything we can to serve and love and to use our gifts for the benefit of the body and for uh, the building up of others in the faith. So here's a couple questions I wanted to sort of throw your way as something for you to process this week. Uh, Very simple questions. How do I sense God has gifted me? Uh, You probably should think about this question in terms of not just like, what do I feel? But also, like, what do other people say? Right? If, if you think you have the gift of teaching and no one else has the gift of listening to you teach, you may not have the gift of teaching. Right? <laughs> or maybe you don't have that gift yet. Right? But other people will be able to affirm, I see this in you as well. So what do you sense God has gifted you with? And secondly, how am I using those gifts for the good of the body? In what specific ways am I engaged with people in relationships? Do I know what my spiritual gifts are? Do I have like any amount of like intentionality or thoughtfulness or plan for how I'm going to actually serve and love other people who are members of the body? And if you don't really have a sense of, if you don't really know what your gifting is, uh, can I just encourage you, ask God, right? If you're saying like, I'm just not really sure what my gifts are, sit down and ask God. He would love to make that known to you. And if you're saying, you know, I don't know how to use those gifts for the good of the body, you know what you can do? Ask God, <laughs> right? You can sit down and say, God, would you help me? No, I want to know what my gifts are. Maybe, uh, maybe there's a gift that you have for me that I don't possess yet, that you would love to give me so that I can bless other people. And then, okay, if I have this gift, what does it actually look like for me to be a wise steward of the gift that you've given me? And so think about, just sort of ponder those questions this week. As we come to the communion table, as we do each week, we get to remember what is both the motivation for and the power for us actually living this way. For us to pour ourselves out, to give ourselves for the good of the body. 
The motivation and the power for that comes when we see that we give ourselves for Christ's body because he gave his body for us. Right? That's the, that's the main sort of motivation. That's where the power comes from is seeing we give for the good of the body because Jesus gave his body for us. And so we see in the cross of Jesus how God has accomplished our ultimate good. We see the lengths to which God was willing to go in order to accomplish our good. We see the, the, the great love that God has for us and how he loves the body. He loves the church. And so as a joyful response to what God has done then, we say, okay, I want to love the body as well. I want to give myself for the good and the flourishing of my brothers and sisters. I want to seek their ultimate good. I want to love them as well. And we do so as a joyful response to what God has already done for us in Jesus. And so as we come forward and receive communion this morning, as we receive the broken body and shed blood of Jesus, that is the motivation, that is the power for us living this life of giving ourselves for the good of our brothers and sisters. As we come to the communion table, I'm going to leave just a few moments for silent reflection and confession. If there's something that you heard this morning, you need to do some business with God, or you need to just sort of sit, maybe ask God those questions. God, how have you gifted me? How do you want me to use those gifts? Now is the time for you to spend some time in quiet reflection and confession, and then we will come to the communion table in just a few moments.